This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on wash and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. We took the cheese. Welcome to the program. How many times haven't I used that phrase, don't take the cheese? You may already know it refers to a mouse trap with a nice big chunk of Swiss cheese on it and a mouse crawls up to it. And you know what's going to happen if that mouse touches that cheese. But yet that's precisely what we did during the week following the Orlando terror massacre. We allowed the left to use gun control as a shiny object to distract us from Mrs. Bill Clinton's flaws. We were pounding her over the email scandal and the secret server that was unprotected. We were hammering her over Benghazi in that investigation. And so what the left did is they needed a distraction. And so what they do is they exploit these situations when they happen. Something came up, a shiny object, and they threw out this thing about gun control. Folks, they know damn well, the left, the Democrats, that that had nothing to do with gun control, but they know we love to talk about it. And they know that they can bury us in this thing that isn't going to change anything. The Democrats know they cannot win the gun control argument, but they'd rather have us talking about gun control than by their flawed, corrupt candidate, Mrs. Bill Clinton. This is the second time, I don't know, in the last month, that we did this, or that we allowed them to do it. And so that's why I use that analogy, if you will. Don't take the cheese. So we spent a whole week talking about what they wanted us to talk about. Oh, we need more gun control. They know that's a losing argument. But guess what? It got us off of the momentum of the Clinton email scandal. They did it again. 
we went for the cheese. Now, we could have talked about a lot of things surrounding the Orlando terror incident, which would have been very easy to triangulate and bring around to Mrs. Bill Clinton. Example, we should have talked about the failure of Barack Obama to protect the American people. Not get into this, you know, uh, he won't say is a radical Islamic terrorism. I know that. But Barack Obama has had more terror attacks on his watch than, I don't know, I saw uh, uh, something last week, than, you know, the last four or five presidents combined. He cannot keep the American people safe. Homeland Security is going to be a major issue in this campaign, and we should have hounded him over that and tied Mrs. Bill Clinton to that. They don't want us talking about that either. They'd rather have us talking about gun control. Knowing that's a losing argument for them, but it's better than them talking about Obama's inability to keep us safe here at home and that Mrs. Bill Clinton is an extension of that. That's how you triangulate. So we miss that opportunity. We also missed an opportunity. She came out with some, I don't know, economic policy speech. She said nothing about economic policy. In fact, what she said several weeks ago was that she was going to put her husband in charge of fixing the economy. That's her policy. You're kidding me? So I want you to listen to an exchange I had last week in the week following the uh, Orlando terror attack. I had this exchange uh, in an interview with Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity gets it. I understand that. But see, what we have to do a better job of is bringing these things around. When the Democrats throw a shiny object out there, a lure, we need to take that and turn it right back into tying it around the neck of Mrs. Bill Clinton. Let's take a listen. And welcome back to Hannity. So following the Orlando terror attack on Sunday, the National Rifle Association has been vilified by the left for their stance on protecting your Second Amendment rights. And earlier today, Donald Trump announced on Twitter that he was planning to meet with the NRA, writing, quote, I will be meeting with the NRA who has endorsed me about not allowing people on the terrorist watch list uh, or the no fly list to buy guns. The NRA released a statement earlier today saying that they were happy to meet with Mr. Trump. They also said, quote, the NRA believes that terrorists should not be allowed to purchase or possess firearms, period. Anyone on a terror watch list or tries to buy a gun should be thoroughly investigated by the FBI and the sale delayed while the investigation is ongoing. Here with reaction, Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark, former NYPD Detective Bo Deedle. You know, I want to start and I want to play President Obama and Hillary Clinton trying to make this issue about radical Islam, which they refuse to acknowledge, about guns. Let's play it. Enough talking about being tough on terrorism. Actually be tough on terrorism. And stop making it easy as possible for terrorists to buy assault weapons. Reinstate the assault weapons ban. Make it harder for terrorists to use these weapons to kill us. The terrorists in Orlando was the definition of the wrong hands. And weapons of war have no place in our streets. 
All right, joining us now, we have Sheriff David Clark, Bo Deedle. Sheriff, all right, so these are the same two that released Gitmo detainees, known terrorists, and some 40% we know went back to terror. The same people that gave Mohammed Morsi, the former head of the Muslim Brotherhood, who once referred to Jews as descendants of apes and pigs, well, they gave that terrorist F-16s, tanks, and a billion taxpayer dollars, or the Iranian $150 billion to the Iranians. Both of them supported that. Both of them supported the idea of bringing Syrian refugees here, Sheriff, even though intelligence officials say that ISIS will infiltrate that population. Do we really need lectures about our guns when this is the actions of these two people? Sean, don't take the cheese. Uh, we're taking the cheese. This is a trap. The Democrats know this. They throw the NRA up as a straw man. They throw gun control as a straw man when these terrorist uh, incidents happen. They throw in the uh, terror watch list this time. To us from the real issue, and you know this. The real issue here is that President Obama has been an abject failure in terms of keeping people on the homeland here in the United States safe from terror. He is incapable of doing that. And they don't want that discussion to be had, so they throw these these uh, other issues in there to cloud it. They'd rather have us talking about whether gun control works or not than talking about the fact that the President of the United States, Barack Obama, cannot keep us safe. Now, as for lists, look, that's a very slippery slope. And and you know who agrees with me on this? The L.A. Times, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Huffington Post, that when government keeps secret lists with no due process, in case you're placed on there wrongly, the NRA has made it very clear. They do not want terrorists or people on a terror watch list uh, to get firearms. But at the same time, if you're on there wrongly, like Fox News contributor, uh, contributor Stephen Hayes, who's on a no-fly list, he's having a heck okay, of a time trying to get off of it because there's no point. process. I think anybody that is on that list ought to have the opportunity to get off the list and have the due process that you rightly refer to. Um, I don't think I'm taking the cheese, though, because they did release Gitmo terrorists who did go back to the battlefield. They did give Mohammed Morsi of the Muslim Brotherhood all of that weaponry. They did make the Iranian deal, and we know they want Syrian refugees in the country, even though our National Director of Intelligence, FBI Director, and others all say that ISIS will infiltrate. So to me, the big picture is they've got it wrong on every case involving radical Islam, but they try and make it about well, guns. Exactly. You know this. I know that you know it. But I don't know that a lot of other people do because we're embroiled in too many of these discussions about watch lists and, and guns and some of these other things. But what you just mentioned about the release of Gitmo detainees and some of those other things, that's what they don't want us talking about. And that's what we have. We on the right have to Great bring point. this conversation back around to these failed policies of Barack Obama. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk about the, uh, the, the Trump campaign, the state of the Trump campaign. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. If you want your rights protected, then damn it, you've got to stand up for people and their right to be wrong, even about Islam, even about engaging in homosexual activities or whatever else you despise. If you don't, guess what you're going to get? Just what we have right now. And more of it. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. 
All right, so too many of us on the right went for the Democrat head fake following the Orlando terror massacre. The other one that that I didn't mention, that Inspector General's report was very damning on Mrs. Bill Clinton. We're just starting to get into that, too, and then we went for the cheese. We went for the head fake. Because, like I said, you got to think strategically here. The Democrats don't want us talking about their flawed candidate. All right, so let's talk about Donald Trump and his quest to become the next president of the United States. I've said it here, I'll say it again. He is going to be the next president of the United States, short of some catastrophic failure on his part. And it just, you know, I've heard, heard people, when I say people, let me, let me be specific. The conservative pundits and some liberal pundits talking about he has to pivot toward the general election. They're still using the language and the model of the traditional candidate, of what of people like Mitt Romney, Bob Dole, John McCain. And see, the only language that the pundits know is the typical model. Well, here's what a candidate should do. And Donald Trump has defied all of that. And he won the nomination. But the GOP establishment, i.e. the donor class and the party elites and the media elites, continue to wage the primary battle. Is there any wonder why Donald Trump can't pivot toward the general election? The GOP establishment, the RNC establishment, is still trying to deny Donald Trump the nomination. How can he pivot toward the general election when he has to fend off these people who are still waging the primary battle? Here's something. This is from Rasmussen. 66% of GOP voters think most top Republicans don't want Trump to be president. Despite Donald Trump's record turnout in this year's primary, most Republican voters are convinced that their party's leaders don't want him to get elected. And they're right. Here's another one from Rasmussen. GOPers far more critical of party leaders than Democrats are. Though, though, there, though there's been voter anger toward the leaders of both major political parties in this year's highly contentious presidential primary season, Republican voters are far more likely than Democrat voters to say their party bosses are out of touch with the voter base. The fact that they're still waging this thing to try to deny Donald Trump the nomination is evidence of that. The voters are right. The voters get us. I've said from the very beginning, one of the problems with the establishment is they're disconnected from the voters. And they still don't see it that way. You know, they're still holding these these high level meetings. The uh, the donors gathered a bunch of uh, uh, the insiders and the establishment people for retreat and trying to figure out uh, ways to deny Donald Trump the nomination. 
And then you have people like Paul Ryan, who's still out there, who's still waffling. I'll tell you what, I have no patience for wafflers. Make a decision, damn it. And once you make it, live with it. Paul Ryan said he was going to support Donald Trump for the nomination. Now, here's a story from Politico, and I don't, I don't go to them much. They love this stuff. It says, Ryan huddles with anti-Trump donors. Big money givers convene in Palm Beach, weighing what to do about Trump. Folks, this, he, he's, he's, he's almost, or he's above 1,500. He only needed 1,237. Here, House Speaker Paul Ryan, this is what the article says, met Thursday night at a pricey French restaurant Here was some of the party's biggest donors to assess a political landscape dominated by one vexing question, what to do about Donald Trump. Here's what to do about Donald Trump. Support him, stop attacking him, and start attacking Mrs. Bill Clinton. That's what to do about Donald Trump. It goes on to say the dinner was a highlight of a secret two-day conclave convened under heavy security by a donor group headed by New York hedge fund manager Paul Singer that is being viewed as a pivotal moment for the big money effort to block Donald Trump from the Republican presidential nomination. And yet the conservative media, who does not like Trump, the ones who don't, are saying, well, he has to pivot toward the general election. How can he when you're still sniping at his heels? You're still trying to cut his tires. He has to fend you guys off. You've heard me say this is an act of political suicide. These people at this conclave, they should be put on suicide watch. This is self-destructive behavior. This will ensure a Mrs. Bill Clinton presidency. How many times have I said, put your country first, you never-Trumpers. Put your country first. It says, sources familiar with the gathering said it was not intended to rally last, a last-ditch anti-Trump cabal. And then, in fact, there was a diverse array of opinions represented among the donors in attendance. Some seem open to supporting Trump if he, win, if he wins the nomination. That's just a formality in Cleveland. As long as they don't engage in hijinks and chicanery to deny him the nomination. It goes on to say, while others are backing his remaining rivals, Ted Cruz and John Kasich, they're not rivals anymore. They dropped out. This stuff is fascinating. How they just continue to be in denial. Scott Walker. Governor of Wisconsin, a friend of mine, the other day put out a comment that GOP delegates should vote their conscience. That's cold language. For the hell with the rules. I think there's an integrity gap when you talk like that. You know, I'm always hearing about conservative principles. I know what a principal conservative is. A principal conservative is one who, when they give their word, 
to keep it. Skywalker said he would back the eventual nominee. He said that before Donald Trump reached 1237. Then he went on to say, well, I said uh, uh, the nominee after the convention, like, uh, you know, this still might not happen that Trump gets a nomination. This is wishful thinking. When the heck did these so-called conservatives lose their integrity? This is staggering. Coming up in the next segment, I'm going to read another piece by Walter Heyer. He is a former transgender, and he's come up with uh, some new information, some new numbers, some new data, some new studies and research on um, the fact that transgender persons really suffer from some mental disorders. It's not physiological, and it's not biological. David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. That's not true. He left it open, but the media has changed the narrative. And with this, sure, right now it's blatantly blaring in your face obvious that Omar Mateen was a jihadist. But give it six, 12 months and we'll be hearing about how it was just a hate crime by an angry lone gunman. And it's America's fault. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Folks, more evidence that transgender persons suffer from mental disorders more than physiological disorders. I've talked about this guy before, Walt Heyer. He's a former transgender. And I read his article uh, several podcasts ago, and I just read it word for word because too often in this assault on the First Amendment and this very totalitarian attitude from the left that any freakish lifestyle, any marginal lifestyle is now considered part of the norm and they're shoving it down our throats. So if you're not careful when you engage in this conversation, they'll look for the trap, you know, and they'll catch you saying something that's clumsy or, or not well uh, articulated, and then they'll just attack you. They'll attack you with it. Transgender phobic and all this other nonsense. So I'm going to read his latest piece by Walt Tyre. This is from the Daily Signal. And it's titled, I wish I had been told about these risks before I had gender surgery. He goes on to say, Many Americans are unaware of the serious problems that face transgender persons. For instance, a 2016 study comparing 20 Lebanese transgender participants to 20 control subjects reported that transgender individuals suffer from more psychiatric pathologies compared to the general population. More than 50% had active suicidal thoughts and 45% had a major depressive episode. While it may not be politically correct to link psychological disorders with the transgender population, the researchers see the evidence that a link exists. 
as a former transgender person, I wish the guy who approved me for gender surgery would have told me about the risks. The experience of many gender-confused individuals is that medical professionals are quick to reach a diagnosis of gender dysphoria and recommend immediate cross-gender hormone therapy and irreversible reassignment surgery without investigating and treating the coexisting issues. Research has found that powerful psychological issues such as anxiety disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, or alcohol or drug dependence often accompany gender dysphoria. A study published in JAMA Pediatrics in March 2016 shows a high prevalence of psychiatric diagnosis in a sample of 298 young transgender women ages 16 through 29 years old. More than 40% had coexisting mental health or substance-dependent diagnosis. One in five had two or more psychiatric diagnoses. The most commonly occurring disorders were major depressive episodes and a non-alcohol psychoactive substance use dependence. Yet transgender individuals are never required to undergo any objective test to prove their gender dysphoria because no diagnostic objective test exists. The cause of this condition can't be verified through lab tests, a brain scan, or review of DNA makeup. Research studies from 2013 and 2009 looking for a transgender gene show not a smidgen of abnormality in the genetic makeup that causes someone to be transgender. No alterations in the main sex determining genes in male to female transsexual individuals were found, suggesting strongly that male-born transgender persons are normal males biologically. The study concluded that improved access to medical and psychological care are urgently needed to address mental health and substance-dependent disorders in this population. On the contrary, it did not include that improved access to bathrooms, hormones, or surgery are urgently needed. A 2015 study of 118 individuals diagnosed with gender dysphoria found that 29.6% were also found to have disassociative disorders and a high prevalence of lifetime major depressive episodes, 45.8%, suicide attempts, 21.2%, and childhood trauma, 45.8%. It also remarked that differentiating between diagnosis of disassociative disorder and gender dysphoria is difficult because the two can closely resemble each other. Another study found a surprisingly high prevalence of emotional maltreatment in the 41 transsexual studies. It called for further investigation to clarify the effects of traumatic childhood experiences and the correlation between transsexualism and disassociative identity. That finding tracks with what I experienced in my transgender life. In my life and in the lives of those whose families uh, contact me, Traumatic childhood experiences are present 100% of the time. One area where medical professionals should tread lightly is the diagnosis and treatment of children who have gender identity issues. A 2015 study aimed to gain further input from pediatric and doctrinologists, psychologists, psychiatrists, and ethicists, both those in favor and those opposed to early treatment, to further the ethical debate. The results showed no consensus on many basic topics of childhood gender dysphoria and insufficient research to support any recommendations for childhood treatments, including the currently published guidelines that recommend 
suppressing puberty with drugs until age 16, after which cross-sex hormones may be given. An analysis of the 38 youth referrals for gender dysphoria to the pediatric endocrinology clinic at the University School of Medicine in Indianapolis showed that more than half had psychiatric and or developmental comorbidities. Without sufficient research and consensus on treatment of children diagnosed with gender dysphoria and knowing over half have coexisting disorders, any invasive treatment, even if recommended by the current guidelines, is simply an experiment. It's time to stop using children as experiments. Transgender individuals need psychotherapy, not access to cross-sex restrooms, showers, and dressing areas. Blaming society for the ills of transgender persons will not improve their diagnosis and treatment. Reckless disregard for the mental disorders in favor of enforcing preferred pronouns is madness. It's time to show compassion by telling the truth and stop pretending they're born that way. True compassion is acknowledging the mental disorders and providing effective sound treatment in effort to slow the staggering number of suicides before rushing to perform irreversible surgeries. Again, that's Walter Heyer a former transgender who finally sought and received the proper treatment for his abnormality. And that's what he would call it. It is more psychological and mental than it is biological. Yet the left continues to shove this down our throat. And as Walt Heyer says in here, This is a disservice to people suffering from this mental disorder. That's what the left does. And that's why we will probably not get to the proper course of treatment for these individuals because the left, as you know, is on a political crusade with this. Looking to push any lifestyle as mainstream in an effort to gain political power because they seek their vote. I think this is cruel. I think it's disgusting what the left does. And like Walt Heyer says here, we should stop using children as experiments. That's why we need to push back on this, not because you or I don't like transgender individuals, It's because I want to make sure that they're getting the proper treatment before embarking on this, as Walt Heyer says, this irreversible medical procedure. That's all. David Clark. The People's Sheriff. On the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat and Stu. A lot of times in Texas and Arizona and parts of New Mexico and California, they have these water stations set up for illegal aliens who might be crossing the desert. I mean, they've taken the time to sneak into our country illegally. The least we can do is, you know, set up things that make it more convenient. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Blaze Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. 
In the final segment here, I want to talk about America's most urgent social problem. And no, it is not gay marriage. It's not which bathroom to use. It's not safe spaces for weak-minded people on college campuses. It's not the myth of white privilege. It's not the mislabeled criminal justice and sentencing, sentencing reform. It's not the myth of mass incarceration. It's not gender equality. Folks, our most urgent social problem is the absence of fathers, more specifically the absence of dads in the black family structure. We're a week removed from Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, by the way, belated, but still heartfelt. The dad's out there. And I don't care what the liberal Democrats say. Dads matter in the lives of their children. Not just their sons, but their daughters, too. But specifically their sons. You've heard me talk about this topic incessantly on this program. It is that important. Like I said, dads matter. I don't care what the liberal Democrats say. And I think the cruelest hoax that the left perpetrated on the black family was to convince them that dads were expendable. That's exactly what they did. Removed him from his rightful position as head of household responsible for the raising of his children to be healthy individuals that reach their full God-given potential. Black mothers became married to Uncle Sam, the government. The dad is the provider. The dad is the protector. It's a traditional role that is time-tested. And yet the left went on to experiment by removing the father, the black man, from the family unit. And it's been disastrous. I want to play for you a kind of like a documentary by Larry Elder, good friend of mine. And I want you to listen to these Staggering statistics that he's about to lay out. We know this. We, we know how horrible this is, but the left continues on this, this, this nuclear war against the black family. Let's take a listen. Years ago, I interviewed Kwesi Nfume, then the president of the NAACP. As between the presence of white racism and the absence of black fathers, I asked him, which poses the bigger threat to the black community. Without missing a beat, he said, the absence of black fathers. It was President Barack Obama who said, we all know these statistics, that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. The Journal of Research on Adolescence confirms that even after controlling for varying levels of household income, kids in father-absent homes are more likely to end up in jail. And kids who never had a father in the house are the most likely to wind up behind bars. In 1960, 
5% of America's children entered the world without a mother and father married to each other. By 1980, it was 18%. By 2000, it had risen to 33%, and 15 years later, the number reached 41%. For blacks, even during slavery when marriage for slaves was illegal, black children were more likely than today to be raised by both their mother and father. Economist Walter Williams has written that, according to census data from 1890 to 1940, a black child was more likely to grow up with married parents than a white child. For blacks, out-of-wedlock births have gone from 25% in 1965 to 73% in 2015. For whites, from less than 5% to over 25%, and for Hispanics, out-of-wedlock births have risen to 53%. What happened to fathers? The answer is found in a basic law of economics. If you subsidize undesirable behavior, you will get more undesirable behavior. In 1949, the nation's poverty rate was 34%. By 1965, it was cut in half to 17%, all before President Lyndon Johnson's so-called war on poverty. But after that war began in 1965, poverty began to flatline. From 1965 until now, the government has spent over $20 trillion to fight poverty. The poverty rate has remained unchanged, but the relationship between poor men and women has changed dramatically. That's because our generous welfare system allows women, in effect, to marry the government. And this makes it all too easy for men to abandon their traditional moral and financial responsibilities. Psychologists call such dependency learned helplessness. How do we know that the welfare state creates disincentives that hurt the very people we're trying to help? They tell us. In 1985, the Los Angeles Times asked both the poor and the non-poor whether poor women often have children to get additional benefits. Most of the non-poor respondents said no. However, 64% of poor respondents said yes. Now, who do you think is in a better position to know? Tupac Shakur, the late rapper, once said, I know for a fact that had I had a father, I'd have some discipline, I'd have more confidence. He admitted he began running with gangs because he wanted the things a father gives to a child, especially to a boy. Structure and protection. Your mother cannot calm you down the way a man can, Shakur said. You need a man to teach you how to be a man. In my book, Dear Father, Dear Son, I write about my rough, tough World War II Marine Staff Sergeant Dad. Born in the Jim Crow South of Athens, Georgia, he was 14 at the start of the Great Depression. Growing up, I watched my father work two full-time jobs as a janitor. He also cooked for a rich family on the weekends and somehow managed to go to night school to get his GED. When I was 10, my father opened a small restaurant that he ran until he retired in his mid-80s. He was never angry or bitter and insisted that today's America was very different from the world of racial segregation and limited opportunity in which he grew up. Hard work wins, he told me and my brothers. You get out of life what you put into it. You can't control the outcome, but you are 100% in control of the effort. And before blaming other people, go to the nearest mirror and ask yourself, what could I have done to change the outcome? 
This advice shaped my life. Fathers matter. Until we have a government policy that makes that its first priority, nothing will change. How can anybody listen to that and not realize what the left did? What modern liberalism has done to the black family? Just last weekend in Chicago, Father's Day, 12 killed, 43 others shot. Those statistics happen every single week. It's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening. Follow me during the week. On Twitter, at Sheriff Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E, and at thepeoplesheriff.com. God bless you. The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio.